Well, as we talk about unshakable faith, we looked at how we can count on the love of Jesus last week, and, and tonight I want us to look at how we can count on the victory that we have in Jesus. And we just heard some of the testimonies that you shared that represent some of the victories that we've had this week. Uh, uh, one specific answer to prayer that was pretty awesome for me uh, this week, uh, seven days ago, uh, this morning, right over here, I met uh, somebody who's new to Grace Point. His name is Amar. And uh, when I met Amar, I-, I had no idea that he would be an answer to a prayer that I've been praying. Uh, for the last year or so, uh, the staff and I have been reaching out to uh, a lady who I-, I believe is the owner of Spice and Herb, which has tremendously wonderful hot food that will burn your face off. I love that restaurant. But uh, Nantana is a friend that we have met there, and uh, she has come to Grace Point uh, a time or so, and we've been reaching out to her. And and a long story short, um, in one of the lunches we had with her recently, uh, I noticed that she was wearing a, a cross, a Christian cross. And this was a pretty big step forward for Nantana. And uh, I said, I like your necklace. And she said something to the effect of, well, I like this too. I really like it, but I have no idea what it means. And she has broken English, and uh, my English is not that good, and that's the only language I know. And so we're struggling to kind of uh, understand each other. And uh, I thought that's what she said, but I wasn't sure, and she said it again. She said, I really like this, but I'm not sure what it means. And so after the second or third time, I thought, this is all I need. I'm going to drive a truck through this this opening here. And I said, did did I hear you say that you like this cross, but you don't know what it means? And she, Yeah. And so what was I to do but tell her what the cross meant? And I'm kind of, you know, stumbling over myself, so excited at this opportunity to, to share with her. But it became apparent to me that her background in Buddhism uh, is one that likes to collect many different idols, many different gods. And Natana's experience thus far appeared to be uh, just one more good thing to collect. Well, I had no idea that my new friend Amar that I met, who is on fire for Jesus, and he said, uh, I would just want to be a blessing in any way that I can here at Grace Point. And, and uh, I've come out of Buddhism, and my heart is to win people to Jesus. And as I began to listen, I just thought, well, this is not a coincidence. And a longer story, shorter, I guess, uh, I just praise God for how he knows exactly the right time of when to bring someone across your path as an answer to our prayers. And uh, we celebrate his faithfulness, Paul. In the midst of a storm, the assurance and the peace that God is giving to you. We celebrate how God is giving little incremental growth successes, Steve, in what you're facing and what you see in your family and you see in your wife. We celebrate how relationships with a biological father that we didn't know well. We're being able to meet. God's bringing blessing there. We're seeing how God speaks to us, not just in one location, but he can speak to us again and again. And there's victory to be had there. But it's important for us to know, as we look at God's word, sometimes we feel victorious and sometimes we don't feel victorious. As our upward season has come to an end, uh, this was my coaching debut, not only in upwards, but in any athletic sports, and I discovered a lot about myself, maybe more than the kids, 
that uh, in the upwards uh, sports environment, we want to have a positive experience for all the kids. And, and so we don't stress keeping score. This was very hard for me. And the appropriate response of an upwards coach is when the kids ask what the score is, you say, well, what do you think? And, and, and I get this and I buy into this. This is a good thing for them, but it was very hard for me because never once did I not know what the score was. And it always amazed me that both teams on the field that I was on felt like they won when I knew who won and who lost. And at that stage in learning and in sports, it can be healthy to remove a little bit of the competition to bring in the joy and the fun of playing the game of soccer. But those of us who've lived life, we know that there's a definite scorecard of either victory or not victory in a lot of areas of our life. I remember when I played high school football, uh, I was the kicker on the team, and kickers are weird people. We don't always work out with the rest of the team, and, and we do things a little bit differently. And I'll never forget one of my first varsity football games when I was doing the kickoff, and I sailed the ball high and deep down the field. The other team took the ball, they fielded it, and they started running, and they broke one tackle, and then the runner broke another tackle, and they began to get closer and closer to me. And if you know anything about the game of American football, the kickers should really have no business tackling anybody. But if they get close to you, what was I going to do but try? And so I ran at this running uh, back who was coming down the field, and I did my best to wrap him up and take him down. But as we saw the next day on the film... When I tried to tackle him, he lifted me up, and I flipped head over heels backwards, and he went all the way down for a touchdown. We ended up winning the game, but I never, ever, ever got over the fact that I was flipped upside down trying to tackle somebody. The rest of that year in football, the guys loved to remind me of it. My team was victorious. We won, but I didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like I had any part of that victory. I remember a little bit of payback uh, uh, the next year, and we were down, and I had an opportunity to kick a field goal. It was 47 yards out, and the ball was hiked. I ran to the ball. I kicked the ball. It sailed up high through the uprights. The referee put his arms up, signaling a field goal. I scored the field goal. The other team came back and scored a touchdown, and we ended up losing the game, but I felt like I won. Even though we had lost, I felt victorious. A little bit of a makeup from what had happened the year before. It doesn't matter what you feel as much as what the scoreboard says. And so if for us to have courage in life and to have a foundation, we need to understand that we can have victory even when we don't feel like it. Take your Bible and turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 5 together. As we gather each Sunday to celebrate who God is, part of that is celebrating the victory that we can have in Christ. And this should be something that we can count on that strengthens our faith no matter what is blowing or what storm is going on around us. You see, this victory in Christ... When Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave is the same power that can make us victorious whether we feel it or not. And I want to look at some faith steps to victory tonight. Anything and everything from God is received by faith. 
the Bible says in Hebrews 11:6, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So faith is the key to living in victory with Christ. As we look at 1 John chapter 5, we're going to see these steps that build one upon another, resulting in a victorious Christian life. Sometimes you may feel victorious. Sometimes you may not feel victorious. But as you claim these steps in faith, you will be victorious. Now, if I take my upward coach hat off, I need to just tell you the score. If you don't live by these faith steps, it doesn't matter what you feel or what you say, you won't be victorious. You may feel like you have done something in your own strength, but there's no real victory that you can count on in the storms of life. The first step of faith is believing faith. We find this in verse 1. Verse 1 tells us, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Underline that word, believes, there in your outline. It's believing faith. This is the foundation of our victory. The word believe is is more than just believing that he exists, but it's placing your trust, your faith in Christ. It means that you have abandoned your efforts in yourself to secure your own victory. It simply means that it's only by Jesus' death on the cross, your belief in him, your believing faith, that you have any victory. Sometimes people say, well... I think I'm right with God because I try to be a good person. We know here, I'm preaching to the choir tonight, being a good person doesn't save you. There's no victory in being a good person. Trying to do better doesn't give you victory. Having willpower doesn't give you victory. Believing faith and trusting on the work that Jesus did on the cross is where our faith is solidified. It's by grace and faith alone. The Bible reminds us that every one of us in this room have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sometimes we can be in rooms like this. We could have grown up in rooms like this for so long that we feel like this verse is for somebody else. But Chuck, you and I, without Jesus, we're going to hell. Doesn't matter what our job has ever been, what our business card has ever said, where we have preached or not preached, it's only by the grace of God all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's you. That's me. And this first step to victory is this believing faith, and it's my trusting in Jesus that moves me towards victory in Christ. We begin to see that any other attempt at victory other than in Jesus Christ, will be short-lived. The second step in faith is a confident faith. Look at the second part of verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. John isn't talking about physical birth, but it's a spiritual one. The moment that you placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you are born into the family of God. He literally adopts you as his own. You're his own son. You're his own daughter. We heard a testimony of one meeting a family member and seeing the relationship unfold before them. This concept of adoption is close to Carrie and I's heart. I've shared with you before the joy that adoption has been for us. I'm adopted and my wife is adopted. 
my sister, my only sister, is adopted, and Carrie's only brother is adopted. And so the only natural thing that we knew was the unnatural thing of adoption. And yet, here, every single one of us in this room who believes in Jesus Christ can have confidence in our faith that we are a son or a daughter of the King. We're no longer a spiritual orphan. And it gives us certainty and confidence in our faith. This is what the Apostle Paul was trying to communicate when he wrote these words in Romans chapter 8. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. No, you received a spirit of sonship. A slave has no confidence before his master. But a son or a daughter can come with boldness to their father because they are their son. They are their daughter. There is a confidence in faith that we can have victory because of who we are in Christ. That's the confidence that we must have being born in the things of God. In God's family, there is freedom. As a son or a daughter, there's freedom to fail. There's freedom to be forgiven. There's freedom for us to grow. Our failure can be used to bring correction and strength into our life if we allow Him. Believing faith leads to confident faith, which in turn becomes an unselfish faith. The third one, our victory in Christ is rooted in an unselfish faith. Look at verse 1, the final part. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Now notice it says, love his child, not act like a child. To have a childlike faith, to have an unselfish faith, is not to act like a child, but to be selfless. Everybody knows that a newborn baby can be very selfish. As cute as they are, they can be very selfish. When they're hungry, they cry. When they are wet, they cry. When they're uncomfortable, they cry. And this is what you expect from a baby. Have you met somebody lately who is an adult, who when they're hungry, they whine and cry. When they are uncomfortable, they whine and cry. When they don't get what they want, they whine and cry. And it may get your attention because of some circumstance from one time to another, but pretty soon it gets old. We can have victory when we have an unselfish faith. Anyone who loves the father loves his child as well. We begin to love one another. In a healthy home, a child soon learns to consider the needs of others as they grow. We learn that our freedom as a child of God is tempered by our responsibility as a member of his family. Somebody here tonight, you may not be feeling the victory of Christ in your life because we are living in a very selfish faith and and we need to know that our freedom in Christ, while it's very freeing, it is tempered by the responsibility we have to our brother or sister in the Lord. God wants to perfect an unselfish faith in us. We learn that it's not all about me. It's not all about what I want. It's about Him. It's about the ones that He loves as well. So when we get angry at others and make hurtful comments about others, we are only showing how self-centered our faith is. How defeated we are. It's interesting to me that sometimes Christians can be the most 
ignorant of how they give themselves away and the shallowness of their faith. When they begin to complain about their church or complain about their class or complain about their group in such a way that's so evident that they are living off of the milk and not the meat and it's not what I want and doesn't look the way I want it and it doesn't happen the way I want it. There is victory when we allow Christ to mature us to have an unselfish faith. Next step in victory in Christ is found in verse 2 and 3. It's an obedient faith. This is how we know what love, excuse me, this is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God. To obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. It's interesting how living for Jesus always seems to come back to this issue of obedience. We try to dance around this word, or we try to slide by it or overlook it, but ultimately, the test of our love for God is if we obey what He tells us. Now notice, John doesn't start in these steps of faith and victory in Christ with obedience. When he spells them out, he doesn't start with obedience. He starts with a simple trust, a believing, trusting faith which builds to a confident faith and leads to a life of an unselfish faith. See, obedience is not burdensome when we first trust and then we begin to allow Him to stretch us and help us be selfless. Obedience is a joy, not a burden. People who think that obedience is something that they have to do, they'll never know the victory in their life. They only see God and church through religion, man's religious eyes. Religion starts with obedience, but Jesus starts with trust. Don't misunderstand me. Obedience is key and very important. It's by our obedience to God that we know that we love Him. But He starts by saying, trust in me. Have faith in me. Have confidence that you are my son, you are my daughter when you trust in me. And let me change your heart to an unselfish faith. And then I'm calling you to an obedient faith. When we start with trusting Jesus, he changes our heart and obedience becomes a joy, not a burden. Believing faith and confident faith and unselfish faith and obedient faith and finally John tells us that this leads to a final faith step in a victorious faith. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Now, at least you think that it's our faith that contains the power. John concludes with this reminder. And the one, and the ones who win the battle against the world are the ones who believe. There's that word again, the the trusting, it's the wrapping our arms around Christ. Those who have abandoned their ability to place their hope in that trust. The ones who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has the power to ensure victory. Our faith is simply a conduit for His power to flow through. What it means for us is that we can have confidence That victory is not something to come. Victory is something that we have in Christ. It means the very thing that Satan tries to use to defeat you, God will use it to bring victory in your life. When Paul boasts in his weakness, he's uncovering this principle, this truth, that where I am weak, he is strong. It's not being 
lackadaisical about obedience, but it's being realistic about who we are and who he is. And at the fractured places in our life is where he shines through the greatest. Friend, I don't know if you come in tonight feeling victorious when you're not victorious or feeling like a failure when you're really victorious or maybe coming in tonight not even wanting to talk about victory. You just kind of tuned it out a long time ago. My guess is, and the number of people who are with us tonight, there may be a few who feel anything but victorious tonight. The truth in which we find our victory is rooted in this scripture. That's the power comes in the scripture and the truth. But there is a poem that gives me a handle in talking about that feeling of feeling like a failure. Don't confuse the poem with the power of scripture. But listen to the words of the poem called The Race. When I start to hang my head in front of failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race, a children's race, young boys, young men, how I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win the race, or tie for first, or if not that, at least take second place. Their parents watched from off the side, each cheering for their son. Each boy hoped to show his folks that he would be the one. The whistle blew and off they flew like chariots of fire. To win, to be the hero there, was each boy's desire. One boy in particular, whose dad was in the crowd, was running in the lead and thought, My dad will be so proud. But as he speeded down the field and crossed a shallow dip, a little boy who thought he'd win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his arms flew every place, and midst the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. As he fell, his hope fell too. He couldn't win it now. Humiliated, he just wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, get up and win the race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his mind and might to make up for his fall, so anxious to restore himself to catch up to win. His mind went faster than his legs. He slipped and fell again. He wished that he had quit before with only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now. I shouldn't try to race. But through the laughing crowd he searched and found his father's face with a steady look that said again, Get up and win that race. So he jumped up to try again, ten yards behind the last. If I'm going to gain those yards, he thought, I've got to run real fast. Exceeding everything he had, he regained eight, then ten. But trying hard to catch the lead, he slipped and he fell again. Defeat, he lay there silently. A tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense in running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out. Why try? I've lost. So what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. 
But then he thought about his dad, whom soon he'd have to face. Get up! An echo sounded low. You haven't lost at all. For all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Get up, the echo urged him on. Get up and take your place. You are not meant for failure here. Get up and win this race. So up he rose to run once more, refusing to forfeit. And he resolved that win or lose, at least he would not quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been, still he gave it all he had and ran like he could win. Three times he'd fallen, stumbling. Three times he rose again, too far behind to hope to win. He still ran to the end. They cheered another boy who crossed the line and won first place. Head high, proud and happy, no falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line in last place, the crowd gave him a greater cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bowed low, unproud, you would have thought he would have won the race to listen to the crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and bleak and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my own race. For all of life is like that race with ups and downs and all. And all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. And when depression and despair shout loudly in my face, another voice from my Heavenly Father says, Get up and win that race. While that is cute and somewhat moving, the power rests in the scripture we just read. That makes this little analogy very true. Whether you feel victorious or not has nothing to do with it. The fact of the matter is, there is victory to be had. If our faith is in Him. Believing faith. Trusting in Him. A confident Faith, where we are his son, we are his daughter. A faith of obedience. A faith that is secured in him. Father, I thank you for my friends here tonight. As we have basked in your presence throughout this day today, we've talked about your recipe for peace that you've given to us. God, I believe that you are weaving this principle, this truth, right into what you've already been teaching us today. You're reminding us that if we feel super victorious, and it's not rooted in our faith in you, we have reason to pause. There's reason to worry. But when our faith is in you, then we can have an unshakable faith, just as our brother has shared, even when the valley of the shadow is among us. 
We know that you have not left us or forsaken us. We don't have to fear the very evil around us. Your rod and your staff will comfort us. Even in the presence, Father, of enemies, you, you protect us. You prepare a table, a feast before us. God, I pray that we will not miss the joy of victory today. Because we live so independent and proud. Or because we live so depressed and discouraged. That we don't see the truth. That you have already won the battle for us. Thank you, Father. For adopting us as your sons and daughters. It's in you that we place our trust. It's in you that we claim victory tonight. Amen. Amen. I challenge you this week to go on a God hunt. I've shared it with you before. In our time together, I'm going to share it 793 million more times, so get used to it. It's not a question if God is going to work this week. It's a question if you and I are going to pay attention to what He's doing. And so, on purpose, take time to look for evidence of God's fingerprints. It's not that God is short on self-esteem and needs more attention. It's that God wants to bless you and show you the victory that you already have in Him by giving Him praise. There's a reason why that first ingredient in a recipe for peace is rejoicing in the Lord. May God bless you as you go. Get your eyes open wide to see the miracle that God is doing around you. God bless you. You're dismissed.